Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Becoming a better parent. That's that's something I'm um, I'm just studying scripture and trying to study finding books that uh, that are trying to help me to become a better parent. I've got I've got boys that are five and six and now a, a seven and a half month old daughter and I'm just trying to become a better father and and husband. Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Real Estate Lab podcast. In this lab, we decode the stories, secrets, and skills of the most brilliant minds in real estate investing, then turn their wisdom into practical advice and knowledge that we can use to boost our income. And now, let's turn it over to our host, V. It's a great day to be alive and to invest in real estate. My name is V Ku, and you're now listening to my show, the Real Estate Lab podcast. Hey, thank you so much for tuning into my podcast this week. In today's episode, we are going to discuss how our expert guest raises private money. We are going to discuss the correct ways to raise private money, how to expand your network, and the benefits of having a thought leadership platform so you can raise millions of dollars for your deals just like our guest. Hey, and I'm going to share my conversation with this multifamily expert with you in a moment. Before I do, I wanted to let you know about a program that one of my mentors is putting together called All Things Money. It's a one-on-one sessions that will rapidly release your limiting belief and the patterns that sabotage you. In this time of uncertainty, it's the best thing that you can do to achieve success, especially in the multifamily niche. You can check it out at www.mikezeller.com. M-I-K-E-Z-E-L-L-E-R. All right, like I said earlier, we are going to discuss ways to raise private money and how to expand your network and the benefits of having a thought leadership platform such as a blog, YouTube show, or a podcast, just like the one you're listening to right now. My guest for this short episode is a country boy from rural Kentucky. He still drives a Chevy truck, He's a horse rider and a veteran of the Army National Guard. My guest today is Mr. Whitney Sewell of LifeBridge Capital LLC. He's also the host of a daily podcast called The Real Estate Syndication Show. Now, Whitney started investing in real estate in 2009. Currently, he owns and manages 450 units, value around $50 million. I'm sure you will love this episode a lot. Hey, and also, when you have time, please take a minute to leave the show a review and rating on iTunes. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes to get automatic episode updates from our Real Estate Lab podcast. All right, let's dive into my conversation with Whitney Sewell. Welcome to an episode of the Real Estate Lab Podcast. I have Whitney Sewell here with us today. Thank you so much for your time, Whitney. My pleasure. Honored to be here. So I, I don't think you have um, anyone who have uh, maybe asked you this before, but how long did did it take you to uh, master vaulting? Do you know what that is? Master vaulting? To master a vaulting, so standing on a horse. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, I, I had a horse training business. I was a professional trainer and 
And I actually stood up on every horse that I sold and popped a whip in each hand while standing up on their back. And so I didn't sell one without, without being able to do that. So uh, being able to do, yes, it took, it takes a lot of time and patience to be able to get a horse to that, to that point. But yes, it took me a long time. <laughs> so I understand you're a cowboy from Kentucky and you drive a Chevy truck. You serve in the <laughs> Army National Guard and former law enforcement in Kentucky. So what is what is it so intriguing about real estate that made you, you know, go to the initial rich dad poor dad training? Mm. Good question. And so I, as a law enforcement officer, I, you know, I had an income problem. And so I, that's what pushed me into real estate. Ultimately, I was trying to supplement my income and then in came real estate. I can't remember how I was introduced to, to a, you know, the rich dad poor dad book or something like that. Um, and, and, I learned about how many people had created wealth through real estate. And that's where we initially jumped into real estate. And so after your initial training with, uh, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and, and got familiar with the real estate world, uh, you bought some triplexes in Kentucky and ultimately you move on to buy some more in the state of Virginia. What were some of the early mistakes that you made? Paid too much. <laughs> <laughs> That was one mistake. Um, trusting the the realtor too much, you know, uh, th you know, thinking what she told me was all 100 percent, you know, or that she was on my side, you know, or that she cared about, you know, my my investments or things like that. Uh, another one was uh, not doing thorough enough uh, due diligence. I hired I hired a very reputable company to come do an inspection of everything. I mean, I followed this guy in every nook and cranny and crawl space and attic, you know, over the entire property thinking, you know, I, I mean, I learned a lot through the process, but I should have hired some specialist, specialists, you know, whether it was for the roof or HVAC and things like that. Well, you know, he told me if those things were, were operating. But, you know, he didn't give me any idea that, wait a minute, you know, these HVACs, you know, are, are the original ones and you sh you better plan to replace these, you know, or, and, and I should have known that stuff. But I just I didn't know then, you know, just getting started. And uh, but I wish I had. But anyway, we, we learned a lot the hard way. <laughs> well, you pay for a seminar the hard way, basically. That's right. And and one thing you mentioned is you had you hire a generalist instead of specialist, right, to uh, inspect your your house. You went through inspection with him, but you didn't learn much about expensive items. That's right. Well, he he didn't specialize in specific things. He was just making sure all these things were operating like they should, you know. And and I you know I would have I would have loved more detail on those items, but I didn't know that at the time. I didn't I I just didn't you know I made sure those units were operating, but I didn't think okay you know, like this unit is, is 35 years old or 30 years old, you know, I better, I better expect to replace this. <laughs> it seems so simple, right? But, you right, know, right. But, you know, looking back, it seems so simple. You, you didn't budget to replace those basically. Right. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, so it sounds like you started with smaller deals for a while when you were um, getting started, right? And then you realized that you were not scaling fast enough um, to support your ideal lifestyle, which was I believe to have your wife stay at home and take care of the kids. And um, then you switch path to do larger syndication deals. You know, the easiest thing to do at that point would be to find a mentor or someone who have done this business before and, and model after him or her, her business model. I'm sure you did that as well. Could you uh, share 
how did you initially get into your your deal with your mentor or how you got into your first deal? Sure. Through syndication, you mean? Correct. Yes. Yes. So I had done smaller multis and some single family, but mostly small multis up, up you know, till just, a, I don't know, through about three years ago and up to like a 15 unit. And then, then I learned about the syndication business and I mean, it just made sense from my military and law enforcement training and structure and discipline. And I just, I, I, and also from uh, managing our own properties and chasing tenants and toilets and, you know, looking for more units, all those things when self-managing and it was going to be really difficult to scale. So I learned about the syndication business. You know, I said, okay, you know, this is a business model that I can scale. And, and, you know, we jumped in completely. We sold everything, uh, including our farm, you know, everything around the horse training business and all the smaller multis, uh, small multifamilies, things like that, real estate, and just jumped in completely. But quickly, yes, hired a mentor and learned a lot about the business, you know, and, and I knew, I, I, I mean, it was 2009 when we bought those triplexes. So I'd learned a lot about real estate. However, when I was going to start taking, let's say, $50,000 of investor capital per investor, you know, up to, you know, a lot more, uh, you know, many, many hundreds of thousands. Um, you know, I wanted a mentor. I wanted somebody that was looking over my shoulder. I wanted somebody that could look at these deals with me and, and give me some guidance and, and, it, you know, and ultimately it gave me more confidence and, and many things, but it, it really sped up my process. I was ready to work hard. I was already putting in lots of hours used to that. There was no problem. However, you know, running on a treadmill, gets you nowhere right 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 <laughs> yeah. so and that's ultimately what i was doing and that mentor was able to give me some direction you know and help me with branding and you know and when we just jumped in uh you know with you know branding our business and growing and scaling and and you know moving towards that first deal could you share who uh who was your mentor joe fairless oh you just came back from his um best ever conference i did i was a first speaker at his conference yes I was, how yeah, how was to be the, able to do that? <laughs> how how was it going from a student to uh, opening the conference for him? <laughs> you know, it, it's it's been really neat over the last few years. We've become more friends, and and uh, being able to be the first speaker at his conference was a real honor. And I actually got to uh, interview him at at his uh, event. You know, he had a podcasting booth set up there where different people could interview different people while while you're at the event. Well, I got to interview him. Um, and it was just a great honor and just us get to speak. And I just get to thank him really on the air for just the mentorship and, and friendship. And, and, you know, it's just been really good, but yeah, it's, it's been an amazing, amazing journey over the last couple of years. That's great. Yeah. I'm talking to Whitney Sewell from life bridge capital. If you want to get a hold of Whitney, you can send him an email at Whitney at lifebridgecapital.com, or you can check out his website, lifebridgecapital.com. Uh, now Whitney, Going back to your um, real estate business, do you prefer to, I guess, vet the investor or deal operator, or do you want to vet the deal itself? If I'm a passive or active, um, passive. If I'm a passive investor, do I want to? Am I am I more concerned with vetting the operator or the deal? Correct. I I am more concerned with vetting the operator. The operator, the operator is the one that's that's controlling that deal. He's the one in charge of it. Uh, if it, it could be a great deal, but a bad operator ruin it, you know. And but a great operator can also do the same with a mediocre deal. Right, right. Now, um, for your business, now are you more uh, doing the deal yourself as the deal operator or uh, capital raiser? Uh, we're the operator. We're okay. The operator. Yeah. Got it. Um, so, what are the three? 
qualities that you look for in a deal operator? So investing passively, I'm going to want somebody that has some track record. I'm going to want somebody that's done a deal. I'm going to want somebody that's done deals in the type of asset class that I'm looking to invest in. Um, you know, it's probably more than three things here, but, but, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I want, I want somebody that's, you know, I'm not going to invest in, with somebody that, uh, you know, say has no real estate experience whatsoever, or, or that just calls me up out of the blue. I get it all the time. Or I get an email randomly from people that I know I've never met before. You know, it, it may look like an amazing deal, but I've never met them before. I have no clue who they are, but why are they sending me an email about their deal? You know, so, uh, you know, that, that just it puts kind of a bad taste in my mouth, honestly, you know, like let's, let's develop a little bit of a relationship here. And and that's exactly what we try to do with, you know, with our investors. And I, I want to have that before you ever invest with me. There's people that try to invest and they, and I've never talked to them before. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. You know, I want to, I want to make sure we're a good fit. The last thing I want is to take your money and, and you regret or, or you have some, you know, you not be the right fit. You know, you didn't know this was going to be a five-year hold or you didn't know you weren't going to have your capital back at a certain time or whatever. I, w- I want to make sure you know those things before we ever enter into that relationship. Right, right. Or you don't, you don't know about all the risks involved. You know, there's a PPM, but maybe you don't read it or, or something like that. And uh, recently I've seen a lot of people actually um, add a bunch of friends on, on Facebook and scrub the list and just blast out, you know, their offering. It's not a way that you should uh, run your business. And I don't, I don't think you, um, you do that anyway. I mean, if you're learning from the best, like Whitney or uh, Joe Fairless, yeah, it's it's not something that you should do. There's now, no relationship there. And, yeah, and, there's there's no no relationship. There's nothing, nothing yeah. at all. <laughs> it's a that's a very short term approach. You know, if you really want to do this business long term, the relationship is crucial. Definitely. Now, can you tell me about the latest deal that you did? Um, what did you do differently on that deal and your your first versus your first? Mm, good question. So, um, something that's different. We implemented a waterfall structure this time, uh, which we didn't. You know, we haven't on other deals. So that's one thing that we we did different. I'm happy to elaborate. Yeah, could you go into what the waterfall structure is? Sure. So, you know, when getting a, re- you know, you see projected returns, right? From, uh, you know, when somebody offers a deal or investment opportunity, you see, you know, the projected returns, and and you need to know those are projected. Those are not like there's no guarantees, right? But, right. but you know, there may be what we call preferred return. So, uh, and typical of typical preferred return would be an eight percent, you know, preferred return. And what that means is that you're getting the first eight percent of any cash flow. It doesn't mean that anything is guaranteed. And I hear people talk about that. And it's like you need to know that preferred return is just means you're getting the first. The first part of the cash flow. If there's not any cash flow, there's still no preferred return. Okay. Right. You know, right. So, so you know, there has to be cash flow, and that's why you're vetting that operator and that deal. But you know, preferred return, you're getting the first eight percent of the cash flow, and then there may be uh, like a seventy thirty split. Is typical. You know, that's typically what we do. You know, above that, there may be a seventy thirty split, meaning seventy percent then of the cash flow after the eight percent goes to the limited partners or passive investors. And then 30% will go to the general partnership, which are the active investors or operators like myself. Okay. But then sometimes there's a waterfall. And that just means that split may change once the return reaches a certain threshold. So, you know, once we provide a 17% IRR or, you know, 17% return or 20%, then it, then it may jump to, let's say, 50-50, you mm-hmm. know, instead of 70-30. 
but that's a that's a waterfall. So that you know, there's a they'll say a reduction in return to the limited partners, but it won't be till they're at like seventeen or twenty percent. I mean, it's already a, <laughs> an amazing return, right? But, right, but it right. also encourages the operators to perform, you know, because they know they're going to be paid a little more, you know, if, once they get it to that to that point. Right, because if um, operators out there are offering you. Um less money or on their part and more money on your part, they really have no incentive because they're basically working for free. No one should work for free. That's right. Now, and, and as a <laughs> passive investor, you don't, you don't want your operator to work for free. No, 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 not at all. Um, now yourself, Whitney, at, at a um, successful deal operator, um, multifamily sponsor, what would you say? So I would say, you know, having a big network is, is a big deal because you need those connections to, you know, raise money and, and help you find deals. Um, once you have them in your network, wh wh actually, let's take a step back. What is it that you do differently to, to expand your network now? The podcast is the biggest thing that's expanded my network. I mean, I assume that's what <laughs> we're talking about. <laughs> uh, I mean, that amongst, uh, you know, I would say, Initially, too, it was going to as many conferences as possible and networking with as many people as possible. And then and, and that increased my network and I gained lots of investors by traveling a lot and going to lots of networking events. And then and then it's crucial. The follow up process, though, is what's crucial right, you know, right. after after you meet somebody. Uh, but then the biggest thing, though, has been the podcast. So once you have them in your network, how do you nurture the relationship besides, you know, sending out your weekly, uh, your daily podcast to them? Yeah, so great question. Uh, immediately when somebody signs up on the website, let's say, for instance, they sign up on the website, they're going to get a, a couple of emails from us that are, you know, it's going to tell a little more about LifeBridge Capital or story or mission, things like that. But there's also a couple of links in there that will ask them to schedule a call. And, and ultimately, if they don't do that, they'll, re they'll receive other newsletters and other emails from us encouraging them to schedule a call. Because ultimately, I, like I said before, I'm going to talk to you before you're going to see any of my deals. Um, you know, I'm not putting anybody just randomly on my list. Or if I talk to you at a conference, I'm still following up after that with numerous emails. But ultimately, to schedule a call, you know, encouraging you or telling you that I, that I would like to talk with you, I'd love to learn more about what you're trying to accomplish and, and how we can help. Now, just as a side question, your schedule is like really hard to get in. To book you, it's like three to five months process. <laughs> <laughs> so w when someone needs to book a call with you personally, uh, how long is your call typically? It's usually about 20 minutes. Okay. And then what do you typically discuss during that call? Uh, them as much as possible. <laughs> So, you know, whatever is on their mind, ultimately, and what they want to know about me, they're all somewhat different. So, sometimes they'll have some of the same questions, um, which it's very common that I'll hear some of the same questions every day. But m many of them are very different. You know, that we'll talk about where they live and, and maybe the weather a little bit, something like that. But ultimately, I want to get into why, you know, why they're connecting with us. And I'll ask them, you know, what, what prompted you to sign up on the website? You know, if that's the way they came, what, you know, what, what is that desire behind, you know, signing up on the website? What are you looking for? And then mm -hmm. we're going to dive into what, you know, what is your experience investing? 
you know, what is that, what does that ideal investment look like, you know, to you? Or, you know, that, what type of asset class are you looking for? Do you understand the risks involved in investing in general, but also in real estate, you know, or do you understand, you know, that, that, you know, your money's going to be tied up for potentially five years, you know, that you can't just get it right back whenever you want, you know, Um, you know, things like that. I'm going to make sure they understand those things. So after this, I would say is an interview process to see if they're a good fit for you and you're a good fit for their investment philosophy. Um, At the end of the day, who is your ideal investor that you love to work with? (laughs) Anyone that wants to invest in real estate, obviously, (laughs) right? But but ultimately, ultimately, I want them to understand. Well, I mean, almost what we said, though, I want them to know that there's risk. I want them to I want them to trust me. You know, mm-hmm. I want I want to build that relationship. I, I want them to understand that that, you know, we are doing our best. I mean, that we possibly can to to make the best returns possible and, uh, you know, and well exceed our projections and things like that. But, you know, usually it's it's guys. Uh, I mean, uh, most of my list are men, I would say, but I, mm-hmm. I have a lot of women investors as well. Uh, but usually they're high paid professionals. A lot of them are business owners and they understand the the wealth component of having real estate. However, they don't have the time to go look for real estate or rental property or even think about managing it or anything like that. They have something else over here that they are really good at and that they enjoy doing. And that's what they want to focus on. But, but like I said, they understand the need to have real estate to build wealth. And then, and so that's where we're connected and they get kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah, exactly. A lot of the businesses um, or business owners, you know, they're busy running their own businesses. They don't really want to learn another trade, but they do know that they want to uh, diversify and get into some other asset class. Right. So that, those are the ideal customer for you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, looking back at what you know now, um, what would what's one thing that you wish you had known when you started going down this path? I guess I, I wish I had known the... The level of commitment for my whole family <laughs> to make this happen. It's been a massive commitment for uh, my wife and, and my children. You know, people don't realize like the time that it is, the, the commitment of time it's taken me to make this happen. And, but it's, you know, it's taken away from my family and, and my wife has put in just as much time as I have, you know, but not directly in the real estate business, but managing the house, you know, and the kids and helping me and supporting me in so many ways. Uh, that's something I probably underestimated. And it's probably a good thing I didn't know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, now we look back and, and are so grateful that, you know, we did it. But, um, but, you know, we underestimated that commitment for the family, for everybody, not, you know, not just me, but for everybody involved. Right, right. Now, I understand. So, I mean, you obviously work really hard to make this work for you, for your family. Um, do you have some fun activity that you do with the family along with your investors? Along with the investors? Yeah, just, you know, bring the family out and, and have fun, you know, with the with your investors. There's, I guess, very few investors are local to me. Okay. So that's, it's difficult, you know, to do that. We have had meals with investors or if we're traveling. So I try to, so I, you know, I encourage everybody, if you're talking to investors, you keep 
keep a record of your communications and things like that. And so, you know, I keep track of where people live. And if I'm traveling, we'll reach out and say, you know, hey, John, you know, we're going to be in the area. We'd love to have dinner with you and your wife or you and your family. And we try, we'll try to do that or be purposeful about that while we're traveling. Uh, but outside of that, I'm not really, hmm. I'm not close to enough investors or hardly any, honestly, where I live um, that, you know, to go like on many fun activities, I guess you could say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where are you, where uh, are you, is your base right now? Roanoke, Virginia. Okay. For some reason, I thought you lived in uh, DFW. Nope. Nope. I'm in Virginia. <laughs> Small town. <laughs> now, hey, by the way, if you're listening um, to more than one podcast shows a week, other than my show, uh, you should check out Whitney Sewell's podcast. It's called The Real Estate Syndication Show. It's a daily podcast where he interviews experts in the real estate syndication business and provide essential content for his listeners. Definitely check it out. Now, um, Whitney, talking about podcasts, uh, why did you decide to run a daily podcast as opposed to a weekly weekly or bi-weekly yeah great question and so i you know my mentor was joe fairless and i he had already proven what could happen with a daily podcast right so i'm like okay right. i'm just gonna another one of those things where i was a little bit uh you know i would say ignorant but a little bit ignorant to the amount of work you know involved and, and but in a good way i'm glad that i was all right and so uh, it, before starting that pod, before starting, I talked to probably just like you did. I, I talked to so many people that had podcasts and asking mm -hmm. them questions about what, you know, what they're doing and all these things. And every one of them, every one of them told me about how much work it was. You know, they're all telling me, oh, I can't hardly get it all done. And, you know, finding guests and show notes and all these things, you know. But right. the one thing they all had in common was they were doing a weekly show. <laughs> you know, and I was looking to do a daily show. And so, you know, they all just told me I was crazy. And so, you know, and I was talking to Joe one day and he said, Whitney, I was telling him that. And he's like, Whitney, that's that's why you have to do it, because nobody else is willing to do it. And and so, you know, it it just it's allowed me to connect with over 500 experts in the business within the last year and a half. You know, so it's just grown my network seven times faster than somebody doing a weekly show. Yeah, it's yeah, called, definitely. It, I mean, it, it made me build teams and, and scale and build systems. And I mean, it, it, I, I've, I mean, it, it made me build teams early on before we ever launched. I had to build teams to make it happen. And I feel like if I hadn't have done that, if I was doing a weekly show, I would have tried to have done it all myself and I probably would have quit, honestly. Or I wouldn't have had time to get it all done. Yeah, it's it's a lot of work. And I mean, I'm doing a weekly show and I'm I outsourced most of everything now and i still don't have enough time to to get to everything i need to do uh it's, it's tough some some weeks now i understand you have what four or five vas working for you can you describe what's um what are the things that you do daily and what are the things that you assign them to do uh, in your team to make this daily podcast happen great question and so when we started i had four virtual assistants from all over the world that were doing something different for the show every day you know whether one's doing show notes one's editing audio the other's editing video and doing some artwork you know another maybe finding guests you know and things like that uh but while you know i had another assistant who was more like an executive assistant that was helping me manage all those all those people right making sure mm -hmm. we're staying ahead and so also you know i had almost 60 shows recorded before we ever launched and then knowing that I wanted to build a buffer for that team, because I knew we we're going to have hiccups. All right, there's going to be, 
you know, a problem at some point. And I wanted to have enough time to make sure we didn't run out of shows. And so we ran about 170 to 200 shows that way. And then I ended up hiring a company that's a, more of a production team that mm. produces lots of podcasts. Now they handle everything post-interview other than social media. And so, you know, now they do the video and audio and, and it, it really helped me put it all in a one house place where they manage it. And, and it took a lot more off my plate. Right. And so I'm not right, having to right. manage all these people. But so for a long time, that's the way we, you know, I managed it. And then uh, but now we've switched to another team that does all that now. And now it's ultimately my executive assistant. I've got a couple of assistants now that, you know, one's, one finds guests for the show and another helps with different things for the show. But then that's, I mean, that's a very small portion of what they do for, for me now. Uh, but, but ultimately for the podcast specifically, you know, I've hired a whole nother team now that does everything post-interview. And by the way, um, one of your executive assistant, uh, Deanna Morrow, please give props to her. Uh, for making this happen, you know, booking, getting you on my show. It was a lot of help uh, from her. Good. I'm glad she was helpful. She's been great. <laughs> now, uh, going back to the, the your podcast, um, so you have been able to expand your network a lot faster with this platform. But what else have you been able to leverage with this thought leadership platform? You know, the podcast has, has gotten me on many other podcasts, you know, just like this, but it's gotten me on many stages as well. It's allowed me to speak in front of lots of people. And that's a big deal. You know, it's a big deal to be able, be able to be on stage in front of six or 800 people, especially like Joe Farrell's conference and be the first speaker. You know, I mean, that's being able to get my voice out there in front of, you know, thousands and thousands of people, but then also go to conferences and speak in person has been a big way that we've been able to leverage what we've done on the thought leadership side. But then also, you know, I mean, obviously just the capital raising business, you know, the, that side of the business you know, it's allowed me to connect with lots of passive investors and allow people to understand our business and our mission and our why. And, and people connect with us because of our why behind what we're doing. You know, and they're already wanting to invest, but then they, they love just partnering with, uh, in, with us in something bigger than just a, a company that's trying to make a bunch of money. You know, so it's just our mission and our why. You want to share your mission real quick with us? Sure. Sure. Of course. And, and happy to, um, you know, as I've, I like starting like back in um, um, I'm trying to think, 2011. Yeah. So we moved to Roanoke, Virginia. My wife and I had been uh, pretty much, I mean, newly married, just been married a few years. And we were listening to a pastor talk about how they had adopted a child and how there are over 160 million orphans in the world. And, you know, it's half the size of the U.S. population. I mean, it's hard to even fathom. Uh, but you know, on our way home, we just immediately asked, or asked ourselves, why would we not adopt? Not why should we, but why would we not? And so within a week, we, we put turned an application to adopt from Ethiopia. And in two years to the month, our first son, Samuel, came home from Ethiopia. A year later, our second son, Elijah, came home. And then just a few months ago, our third, our third child, our daughter, Eden Joy, her adoption became final as well. And so, you know, that that process is so long and drawn out, very difficult, and it can cost forty to $60,000. Most people have no idea, you know, that it can cost that much to bring a child home through adoption. But that quickly became our why, and that's to help other families through that process and financially as well. So we've committed half of our profits to helping families that are, that are burdened, you know, that, that can't, uh, you know, afford to adopt a child, but, but would be a, a great family. 
to bring a child home. So that's our mission. We schedule calls with families all the time now, uh, my wife and I, that that are looking to adopt a child, but they don't know where to start and just that want to ask questions about the process. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this this process that um, or this journey that you've been on, uh, especially with your third child, I follow the whole uh, journey from wow. Dan Hanford. Um, at uh, last year sometime uh, at one of his uh, virtual events and you know he talked about it and he encouraged people to donate and um, yeah I mean and it didn't work out well for you the first time right and then uh, I guess you lost some money there um, <laughs> <laughs> many 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 thousands of dollars yes unfortunately we had a failed placement and all the money is gone and so but we it's a long story but the lord provided in big ways and and uh, and through dan hamford's uh network in a big way you know and then also uh just many friends and and uh yes it's it's an amazing story but uh, uh but it all worked out truly truly is an amazing story from you and uh, you have a really, really big heart, Winnie, and, and you and your family. Now, um, now you are you are a uh, really su- successful business. Um, you have a really successful business in real estate now, in terms of operating your um, apartment multifamily deals, and now have a podcast that recently hit over five hundred episodes. Was there anything that you would say you learned from your military and law enforcement days that have helped you get to where you are today? Besides what Joe taught you, no doubt about it. And and I, I go back to I call it my my never give up mentality. And you know I say when I when I uh, in two thousand one I decided in March of two thousand one I decided to join the military. And that was that's before nine eleven. You know <laughs> at that time nobody ever <laughs> nobody ever thought about us going to war with another country. You know, but but you know in a few months after that obviously we did. And and then I found myself you know spending a year of my life in Iraq. Uh, you know, toting around a machine gun, um, praying every day that I get to go home, and and not everyone in my squad made it home, uh, unfortunately. And and but you know, while being overseas, though, you know, that long and in that environment, it, it's not an option to give up. Like it's like it's just not an option, you know. <laughs> uh, and they train you for that, thankfully. You know, thankfully they do train you for that. But uh, in, in case you're curious, I, I did make it home alive, thankfully. Thank the Lord. <laughs> so, but. You know that, and and then even in in law enforcement, like it, you have to have a never give up mentality, and that had to show from the way that I wore my uniform to the to the way that I responded to every dispatch, and, and it wasn't an option, and it, it meant my life and meant many other people's lives at the same time, and so that mentality though has just has been the biggest thing from law enforcement and military that has pushed me through business uh, through where we're at now because it hasn't been easy you know, to get where we're at now by no means. And I mean, it's, it's been something we've had to keep pushing, you know, and, and we we can see fruit now, but, but for a long time getting a business started, you don't see fruit for most people, you know, and, but that, that's a big part that I feel like came from that military training and law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely never, never give up mentality. Now, another questions I have for you, it could be a, just a funny side questions. So never give up. Now you and Paul Moore, who's better at golf? <laughs> Paul, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Paul is better at golf than I ever thought about <laughs> Now, if you don't know who Paul is, uh, check out episode 15 of my podcast. You can head over to links.realestatelab.live slash one five. 
Now, our guest today is Whitney Sewell from LifeBridge Capital. You have been amazing, Whitney. Thank you so much for joining on me on the show. Uh, before I let you go, just one last question. What are you most curious about right now? Most curious? Outside of business or inside? It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Becoming a better parent. That's that's something I'm um, I'm just studying scripture and trying to study finding books that uh, that are trying to help me to become a better parent. I've got I've got boys that are five and six and now a, a seven and a half month old daughter and I'm just trying to become a better father and and husband. Awesome! Thank you so much, Whitney. Thank you, V. It's an amazing show. Great interview. That's the end of the show. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a five-stars rating and review on iTunes for the Real Estate Lab podcast. Until next time, have a prolific week.